Welcome back to In My Shoes, a podcast about different perspectives on shared experiences across the University of Michigan campus. My name is Rebecca Fantone, the host of this podcast. Today, we're switching it up again. Well, you'll hear from the producers of the podcast about their thoughts and feelings on code switching and how that has changed during the process of producing this series. So let's go around and introduce ourselves. My name is Field, and I'm a graduate student in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Michigan. Hello, I'm Ayomide. I'm a senior studying biomolecular sciences at the University of Michigan, and I'm a cisgendered Nigerian-American woman. I am Junior, and I am a PhD candidate in the Applied Physics program at the University of Michigan. My name is Danielle, and I am a chemistry PhD student at the University of Michigan. Hi, my name is Rebecca. Uh, You probably know me as the voice who starts off all these episodes. I am also a graduate student here at the University of Michigan in the chemistry program. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I unexpectedly was chosen to be the voice of this podcast to start us off all the time. So it's nice to finally really meet you. Hi, I'm Ginger Schultz. I'm a faculty member in the chemistry department. I'm a cis white female. I was a first-generation college student and the youngest of five children. Now, I guess we can head into the discussion part. So, I won't lie, I was not here when this team was formed and when this topic was chosen. So I wanted to start off with, why did we choose uh, code switching as our topic for the series? Yeah, so um, I can get started with that. Um, Actually, Iomide and I were sort of on the original team exploring uh, code switching as a possible option uh, for this podcast. And I think we both sort of thought that it was a a pretty interesting and complex and pretty nuanced topic um, that I think a lot of underrepresented people on the UM campus experience that we thought could uh, be useful to get some like different (laughs) perspectives on. in terms of sort of sharing how different people might experience code switching uh, across the UM campus community. Um, I remember when we were listing topics on the whiteboard and honestly, I think the most, you know, impactful or like salient experience I've had at Michigan is having to code switch because I came from a very tight knit Nigerian community and I came to Michigan and it was like, okay, now you're a black woman. And now like I have to consider like what it means to be a black woman in predominantly white spaces. So I remember that was the reason like um, we had put up the topic on our whiteboard. Going back to that whiteboard idea, I remember looking at the whiteboard at all the list of topics and there were so many good ones to choose from. And when people in the group started talking about their experiences with code switching, I became really interested in this topic. I didn't know much about it before starting this podcast. Um, that kind of makes sense, you know, as a cisgender white woman, I don't have to code switch as much as other groups might have. So I was really interested in learning about this topic a bit more and diving deep into the uh, complexities of code switching, um, especially with our students and faculty, staff members of the University of Michigan. All right, so before this show, I admit, I had a vague idea of what code switching was, um, but I found when listening, especially to the Monica and Priya episode, and they explained what code switching is and their own experiences in code switching, 
that was when I truly learned that there are different types of code switching, especially in regards to visible and invisible identities. I was wondering what other people thought about that. One thing I should have said at the beginning of uh, when we were introducing ourselves, I should have mentioned that I am a non-native English speaker because I think that's like one of uh, um, one of one of the main identity that I I think is relevant to this conversation. So my first introduction to code switching was actually did not uh, was in the context of like social cultural interactions and especially in white space. But as we were uh, getting um, ready to start designing, um, for example, questions for the type of, for the podcast uh, uh, with the guest, I started diving into some of the literature about code switching, even the origin of code switching. And I remember even when we were um, picking the topics that we wanted to cover, we had this, I brought up in the in a, one of the meetings about what I found, like, for example, a lot of people, the, the men's studies about code switching was from the, the, the point of view of, like, language. So um, uh, a little bit of, like, background with code switching, and I think it's going to be uh, a good preface for this conversation, is that... Um, Code switching, actually, the term was coined by this uh, social linguist um, from Norway. Her name is, uh, I'm going to butcher her name, um, Iner Hagen. And uh, she, uh, she um, coined the term around 1954. And eventually, uh, African-American in the U.S. around uh, the 70s started uh, looking at um, code switching from the point of view of intercultural communications. So at the end of the day, code switching is mainly a thing of language. But when you think about the other social cultural uh, uh, context in which people talk and communicate with one another, then it becomes... Uh, a more uh, a complex topic that is not solely on language. So, for example, taking into consideration race, ethnicity, gender, uh, 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 gender identity, sexual orientation, and even generation, and how different different groups of people um, um, interact with each other. Um, each one of these uh, categories exerts some type of influence on the type of language that is used and also the type of pattern in interactions. So then you start talking, so so when African when African Americans start um, applying um, that concept um, in the context of intercultural relation, then you start questioning things, you start hearing things about like white space. And then there is this, um, this um, uh, thing of now, in addition to understanding when people could switch, there is also the question of why people could switch. So at the end of the day, there is this like exchange, um, especially in spaces um, where the hierarchy or the dominant, the dominant um, identity in these spaces is whiteness, is your ability to buy into those, um, those standards as a way of either... Um, fitting in but also surviving and thriving in those spaces i am rambling a little bit so <laughs> i'm gonna pass on to the next person if they want to add something yeah so so i guess i can build on what uh, junior just talked about um whenever i first learned about code switching uh was in the context of like academic writing and how uh we sort of expect students to uh match their writing style to fit with like the academy whenever they're taking like English courses. Um, so like within this context, I sort of learned about what code switching was and then how it really did apply, I guess, more broadly to um, other people's like actual experiences 
in daily life and how that type of code switching is like a day-to-day thing for um, a lot of people from like underrepresented groups who have to sort of fit into this white culture or white society that that is proposed to be the norm society, especially in academic spaces. Um, so whenever I was like learning about this, um, or first like heard the term code switching and learned about it, it made me reflect on my own identity as a gay man and how, um, in a sense, what I do is whenever I'm in like professional spaces as act straight or act straight so that I can try to fit into these white professional straight spaces. Um, and like realizing that that is a type of code switching, I think was really valuable for me um, because I could sort of have a name to understand um, why I wasn't necessarily comfortable in certain spaces because I wasn't really able to be uh, who I was. And then sort of thinking about my discomfort that I've experienced in a lot, in a number of sort of professional spaces where it's not necessarily okay to be gay or to sound gay (laughs) or to act gay or to, I don't know, talk about drag race or things that you like like to watch that are that are associated with like gay culture um like being uncomfortable in those spaces i think i like i still am uncomfortable to a degree talking about these things even right now um and just sort of being able to to know like the cause of that comfort and then to think about how a lot of people experience code switching to like a much higher degree than i do and how that might influence how they're um interacting on a day-to-day level with people in similar spaces, I think has been really useful for like developing understanding about um, sort of, I don't know, the different experiences that people are going through on campus on a day-to-day basis. Uh, You bringing up like the levels to code switching reminds me of like the debate we've had for most of this podcast of like what should we consider code switching which form should we prioritize capturing and i think that was a really valuable experience because you know as uh, junior mentioned like uh the use in america really started with african-americans noting that they were in predominantly white spaces and were having to you know change like their personalities change the way they speak change the way change their mannerisms and stuff like that and so that's how i've always that's always been my definition of code switching and so realizing that it is almost like a spectrum, I think was a really valuable experience because I guess it, it kind of opened up the conversation for more people to be included for us to realize that it actually impacts all of us, even if it is to varying degrees. I, you know, I guess what coming back to that is why, um, you know, we had one of our things was like, why do we need to name what code switching is? Why do we need to understand what it is, right? And I think early on when we started our recordings and everything, it was like, I really felt like I didn't know. And I also felt like I wasn't someone who could, who even had something to say about code switching. Right. And I think two things happened for myself. One, I recognized when code switching happened for me, which happens in a gendered way. But then I, I think tapping into that really helped me to understand better how code switching might happen for other people. Not that I can fully step into their shoes, but you can begin to have like not empathy, but, you know, under, start to understand what it might be like, you know, if I've got to do this one or two times a week or whatever it is, what's it like to do this all the time, you know, and, and start to think about what that would be like. Yeah. I think that's like a really important point to make is like, I I realize the title of our podcast is in my shoes, but I think it's really important to emphasize that you can't really truly step into someone else's shoes and know 
like how they experience things or how they experience code switching. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so just to echo what Ginger was saying, I think it's really important to know that like true empathy is like hard to reach. And even if you are able to be made like empathetic by like naming and understanding code switching, I think it's important to emphasize that like empathy isn't action um, and that it's more like understanding and developing that understanding so that you can take action and know that action needs to be taken. Um, Mm -hmm. But that just feeling that empathy itself is like a first step in a process. I just want to say, I feel like a lot of people like to make fun of how in this day and age, we always have to have a label for something, but there truly is so much power in naming something, whether an experience, a feeling, um, an identity. And it just wanted, I just felt like that sentiment that I have really encompasses um, the power that is like identifying these experiences and then being able to use them to empathize and act on it. I want to bring up um, a question that Paulette posed during the recording between her and um, and Taylor. She she professes by saying that I I want to be the devil advocate in saying what if code switching is not is just part of the professional culture of certain some of those spaces, and I can speak from my own personal experience as someone. As an outsider coming to the U.S., English is not my first language. A lot of the spaces that I entered, especially in the context of academia, I just saw some of those behaviors that everyone was assimilating to were just that. It's the professional uh, 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 the professionalism in those spaces. And the more you look at like what, what is a line, what is considered to be professional professionalism and, <laughs> and the degree in which people who don't come into those spaces with these skills or like the, the most, uh, the closest, the, the, the skills that are closest to these, um, these uh most of them are actually unspoken rule of those spaces then it started to become a whole different thing that like it's very by design that the things that we call we consider to be professional are very much close to whiteness i'm trying to be coy here but i i was thinking about that junior a lot that especially lately that part of what it seems like we're meant to be doing on a campus is to help everyone learn how to be professional in society or whatever job or thing they're going to go do afterwards. But it really does seem like professional is like a white construct, you know, and in that sense. And so now I think a lot before I even use that word, you know, to talk to somebody because what do, what is behind that's a really loaded thing to tell someone that they need to behave professionally. And, and also I was thinking about what you just said, which is that it's un, like, there's a lot of unspoken rules around being professional that, um, you know, I, I think come across. Mm-hmm. And the constant fear that if, if I let it slip, like if one, one time, one instant I left, let the, the mask fall off the cost of it all, like what I might lose, um, yeah, and I think that's that that added this layer um, of like mental um, costs too that um, um, Monica and, and Priya talks about in their in their uh, episode. So, yeah, they, it definitely came up a lot in their episode. This sort of idea, because 
in there, it was like, there's this layer of gender, right? If you act emotional or you respond in a certain way, and it doesn't matter if the person before you act, behaved badly. If you respond in an emotional way, then it, it's tied automatically to your identity. And, uh, you know, Monica talked about that as either being a woman or a black woman, even worse from her perspective that, you know, that if you respond that way, then, then that's where it leads you. And so you have to, even, even if it's natural and right for you to feel that way and to respond that way in that space, you feel that you can't. Mm-hmm. And Junior, I wanted to speak more to how you mentioned like the fear of letting, putting that mask down. Cause currently, you know, I'm in the process of writing my med school applications. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I wanted to begin my lock journey. And you know, I have always loved your locks. Like since the first day I saw them, I was like, okay, I'm eventually going to do that to my hair. And so as I was considering, you know, doing research and beginning the process, I was like, but what are the, you know, the, when I sit down for interviews, they're going to see these locks before they see my GPA or whatever extracurricular activities I participated in and all of those things. And it was like, that was like such a I don't know if the word is like a visceral experience where I was like, if I decide to lock my hair, it could impact my ability to get into med school. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, that just blew me. But and it's it's 2021. You would think with all the 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 things that are taking place about around like black women, specifically natural hair, you would think these these things wouldn't be a problem, but it's very much a problem. The amount of time that my mom had told me that the uh, having locks gonna prevent me from getting a PhD, uh, not a PhD, getting a job is, is absurd. Um, back home uh, in Haiti, a big part of you preparing for the professional world is to get a perm. <laughs> uh, so, it's yeah, it's it's absurd, but it's it's a reality. It's it's a reality. I love that you mentioned how absurd it seems in um, twenty twenty one. But I think like the the presence of like hair discrimination and even what happened like in the capital a few weeks ago had me really thinking that we kind of think of white supremacy as something that's enacted by certain individuals and like a certain crop, like a certain like part of the crop of people. But really, like the whole country is was built and founded and operates by white supremacy, which is what even makes code switching necessary for anybody who's basically not, you know, straight, cis, white, male, Mm -hmm. basically. And so I think like going forward in our conversation, that's really something to think about. Like it underlies every single aspect of America. It just manifests in different ways every single day, every moment, every year. And that's why it continues, things continue to happen because it's just re-manifesting because it's literally at the foundation of our country. I am so glad that you brought this up because um, I was reading um, an article, um, this uh, black woman talking about her experience with code switching and a good chunk of that article. She talks about how within the black community, very often when uh, black people code switch, they are viewed as like sell out. They they are selling out. They are they are doing all of that. But like she kept saying, yes, this is not just a thing of like fitting in, but it's also a thing of surviving. And this article had had me thinking about the ways in which black people entering and even being able to navigate and and climb up the lad, climb up the ladders of um, this professionalism thing and how we ourselves can become agent of like white supremacy in very weird way by even policing other black people who come into the field under the guise of showing them the rope of like how things are done here. We are, we can easily like become agent of white supremacy, regardless of like skin color, to be, to be honest. So. 
Yeah, that definitely came up um, when Paula and Taylor in their in their conversation. I think it was Paula who said it's racism, like or it's a product of racism right, that you have to um, code. You know that that people will have to code switch and um, you know just to just to operate within that system. You know, and it's it's not and it can be about comfort or discomfort, but it's even in certain situations about survival. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's coming back to the differences in terms of someone's identity, the visible and invisible identity and the complexity there, which is that is it is it do I do this because I feel uncomfortable or I'm more that I am worried or feel like I have to make other people feel comfortable or do I do it because I know that I will not um, either succeed in, um, you know, advancing in whatever I'm trying to do, or even that it can be um, a life-threatening sort of situation. And I, I think that's where that kind of spectrum comes back in, that I think all of us in this, you know, all of the producers experience podcasts, but the degree to which we're at risk when we don't code switch, or the maybe even the frequency with which, or the context in which we have to code switch vary based on those visible and invisible identities. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings up actually a good point that I wanted to put in. There was always a question, especially when going back to the invisible and visible identities of like, is code switching a choice? Mm. And I think, especially in my opinion, and I hope other people agree with this, but I don't, if you feel like that your safety is at risk, or if you're not going to succeed, or when there's some kind of danger um, to like your professional life, your career, personal life, anything like that, if there is some kind of risk involved, if you were not to code switch in a situation, then is that even a choice? Mm-hmm. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always thought, like listening to, especially um, to Sam and Desi's episode of how they discuss their code switching. And I think this is maybe something with more experience they will realize, but I know in my personal experience that when I have had to code switch because like similar to field where I didn't feel safe to be my open queer self, I had to act more heteronormative, I didn't couldn't talk about specific interests or even people I might be interested in like dating or seeing like in casual, even ca- casual conversations, not just of professional situations. Like that's not a choice I want, I, that's not a choice. I am being forced to make this um, decision of acting or talking about certain things. Um, and I just wanted to really highlight that mm-hmm. um, because I think sometimes, especially white people, it, um, who are becoming agents of white supremacy, they convince themselves that what we do is a choice, when, but when there is a risk to your safety or your career or anything like that, then it isn't a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would like to argue the opposite to an extent. Okay. So I think, I, I believe ultimately it... I don't know if this might just be semantics. I think it ultimately is a choice. I kind of, I decide. It happens subconsciously now when I like switch, you know, tones or gestures and stuff. But I think that it is essentially a choice, but it's like one that's kind of forced, which kind of goes back to when Junior mentioned the idea of sellouts. It's like, 
anybody, I personally, I can decide to get locks, all the tattoos and piercings I actually desire, dress the way I want, and it will make everything in my life difficult. That's a choice. I can also decide to refrain from the tattoos and piercings I actually want, dressing how I actually would like to express myself, and it will make everything easier. So I think that it is a choice. I just think it's unfortunate that um, choosing to express ourselves has very adverse consequences depending on our identity. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for listening to In My Shoes, a podcast about different perspectives on shared experiences across the University of Michigan campus. In My Shoes was produced with the support from the University of Michigan Center for Academic Innovation. This episode was edited by Ellie Daftor. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. For updates on the most recent episodes, follow us on Twitter at In My Shoes.